Hello, welcome to episode three of the Lauraera podcast. Today we'll be discussing Animal Farm by George Orwell. I'm David Smith and I'm joined by fellow pigs, Oren Fitzpatrick, Audrey Gaffney, Marty Gillespie and Francis Walsh. How are we lads? All good, all good. All good. Oren, it's a sunny Saturday in Sydney. Yeah, off to the Sydney Swans game today I think, are you? I am indeed. First home game of the year, so excited for that. What time's kickoff? Or throw yeah, it's not until quarter to one. The bounce. Is that what they call the kickoff? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the ref comes in and it's it's like you know, like GA. You throw it up between. Yeah. He just bounces on the ground and it goes up, goes every which way. Then, but yeah, no, should be entertaining. Um, did a big win last week, so they're actually looking good for the first time in a while. So. Yeah, yeah be decent. Next week, hopefully in the MCG, if I can get tickets to play in Richmond. So fingers nice. crossed. Franny, how's life with you in Barcelona? It's Friday night. Grand, yeah. Um, was taking it easy tonight now, but there's one of the lads' birthday parties tomorrow, so we're going to the beach for the day for that. So, nice Love weekend in store. Happy days. The weather is getting pretty good here now as well, so. Yeah, what kind of degrees would you be talking? Uh, during the day, you'd be hitting kind of 17, 18. Lovely. So, fairly grand, can't complain. Yeah, and what about you, Marty? Any plans for the weekend? No plans for the weekend now. Um, as a as I was saying beforehand, I I got the a PS one emulator on my tablet and have been tackling Harry Potter and Spyro the Dragon and uh, I think Tomb Raider's next to my list next for the weekend. So nice. that's about as exciting as it's going to get. That's very exciting though, all the same. It's it's a, a nice head of nostalgia. Uh, and you enjoyed the rugby <laughs> you're watching the Six Nations this evening? Yeah, it was a great finish. Great finish to the tournament now. Uh, nice to have it on a Friday night too. And to finish with a last minute try makes it all the all the sweeter too. Yeah, absolutely. Podge, what's in store for you for the weekend? I have a nice long weekend ahead. Just uh, finished up for spring break today in school. So uh, two weeks off now, like Marty there. So funny enough, like just back two weeks and then off two weeks. So it's fairly stop startish. But uh, I have plenty of uh, Easter eggs here to get through. Going to go back to the beach tomorrow and do a bit of swimming. Start off on a fresh note. Other than that, no real plans. Maybe do a bit more reading, a bit more sleeping. Yeah, good stuff. It's yeah, lovely morning here. Just went for a nice walk for sunrise this morning and we've uh, gone to a head into a brewery now this evening for we've a soccer night out. So that should be a bit of crack, hopefully. Podge, uh, do you call it spring break in yeah. Educate Together? <laughs> yes, we go we go winter break and spring break and at Christmas we have a winter concert. Oh um, lads. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't mind, but like I I've Happy always holiday. Do the kids go to Cancun or something for the two weeks off? Yeah. <laughs> Down to Florida. Yeah, you know yeah. yeah. There's a high high percentage of floral shirts today for some reason. Don't know where they came from. Uh, fellow pigs, will we get stuck into this book? Franny, did you enjoy the book? What were your thoughts? Uh yeah, I loved it. Um I was a really big fan. Yeah, I suppose like it's it's just it's the whole thing is just like a big metaphor, obviously, and it's so. But I thought the real the real beauty of it was in the fact that I'm not actually sure what year it was published. Was it the fifties sometime? Was it? Does anyone know? Nineteen um, forty. It was early forties. Yeah, so like early forties. But like it was just, I felt it was so applicable to a lot of stuff that's going on today. You know, in terms of the way political groups align themselves and. In terms of the way people behave when they get a lot of power and like you just see these stories play themselves out in real life so much and he has this way of capturing it. I suppose in ways it's such an obvious metaphor, you know, it's like I was nearly thinking it's nearly the opposite of what we were talking about with Chuck Klosterman last week in that like it's 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 a completely direct metaphor. Like you've no there's no ambiguity as to what he's talking about. 
but for like for all that it's just it's so it's very good because it's so obvious what he's doing in a way I suppose and because it would have been so relevant at that time as well because there was so much going on in the world of power and the world of politics and so yeah no I, I, I really thought it was I really thought it was excellent yeah as I say I think the real the real the best thing about it was the fact that like it was just so timeless and that like it could apply across generations and it like it, it reads like it could have been written yesterday yeah. another, another thing about it is that it's also for people who are maybe a bit confused by communism or it just spells it all out in such a simple way as well through the allegory of the farm that like as you said it's timeless but even now for us to read it and look back on something that was essentially 1910s or whatever it's so understandable like you can really relate to it straight away it's not like reading a history lesson or anything like that it's very personal it feels Oren I'll come to you next how did you find the book did you enjoy it yeah same I thought it was excellent 100% it kind of Fanny's kind of jogged my memory there as well it was the simplicity of how he puts across the whole idea of communism in general like how he can put that into is it 90 something pages or something like that um, and so, so succinctly do it in the present day it's far, nearly more applicable and I thought what I did really really enjoy I've never actually thought about communism like that or kind of thought about it all that much it was always just yeah communism bad that's fine and move on sort of thing whereas starting off there yeah, like there was some half decent ideas and um, I was coming from a good place and yeah how quickly it just turns to turns to muck but um, yeah it was awesome thoroughly enjoyed it easy like easy read quick stuck right into it couldn't put it down then once I had. Yeah, great stuff. Uh, I'll come to you, Podge, next. I think you were a big fan of this book. Do you want to give us your thoughts on it? Um, yeah, well, as I just said earlier, um, I was delighted to finally read it. I actually read 1984 by George Orwell as well, early in the lockdown, well, the first lockdown, as we'll call it now. Uh, in a way, I was kind of, like that was still in kind of recent enough memory, his style of writing, I suppose. And I suppose there's a lot of similarities between the two books but yeah just agree with the lads really really enjoyed it i'm delighted i read it at the age i am because just naturally you just get more and more into politics i suppose as you get older and you get more, more knowledgeable of it and yeah i mean as franny said like the the metaphors the the metaphor of of the whole uh, tale itself was just so well done such a easy read like you could read books 10 times longer than that on the same idea of kind of how communism forms and it, it wouldn't be as powerful. Do you know what I mean? It, it was just so, the way he wrote, the way he writes is just so easy to follow, like, and enjoyable, despite kind of dark undertones and little quotes here and there that I'll probably bring up a little later in the podcast and um, that I just thought were really fascinating that he just kind of, because it's just a short read, it's easy to miss sometimes because you could easily just fly through the book in an hour or two, you know? Whereas I kind of read it, I read kind of half the book and then I put it down and then I came back to it like a week or so later. Even in that week, you kind of just digested a little bit and the messages and the themes or whatever. So look, overall, a uh, brilliant book. And yeah, I'd recommend it. Very good. Marty, last but not least, how did you feel about the yeah. book? Yeah, I had a great time reading it. I thought it was, I thought it was a fun read, uh, despite the dark undertones or, or, or um, some of the deeds by Napoleon and Squeezer and crew. I still learn lots of it. I I, um, I understand the revol- the Russian Revolution far better now than I ever did before. I, I actually I actually watched one or two documentaries about a month or two ago on Netflix, and they're your classic historical documentary, and they're full of full of facts and um, dates and old footage. But it 
it's lacking the personal qualities. And that was all in Animal Farm. And, you know, the characters are really, really good reflections of, of the real life characters that they're, they're, they're supposed to portray. But regardless of the, of the, of the metaphor, as obvious as it is, I, I thought it was really a really fun read. Um, you know, within 20 pages, you start to you start to feel your anger at Napoleon or your, your opinion of him has gone south already. And for I was I started to think it about 40% through. I was like, how long am I going to be angry at this man before something else happens? I I was actually wondering if Snowball was ever going to come back. <laughs> I I was missing Snowball later on in the in the book. You no, know, overall I thought it was a really enjoyable read. I learned lots from it. Uh, Podge mentioned um, there's plenty of quotes, a few, some some phrases that we use today as well that I didn't uh, realize you know may have came from around from came from Animal Farm or from around the time it was written. You know, all animals are equal, but some are more equal than others. You know, being the the, the obvious one. Um, but again, you know, some of the comparisons to even to modern day, like never mind to other other historical historical events or, or situations or, or governments. I find myself during the week, you know, reading the news and thinking, oh, that's a bit like you know, that's a bit like Squealer there. So it is, you know. <laughs> but yeah, no, I really enjoyed it. What did you think? Definitely kind of probably in my top five or six books ever. It's just so impactful. Yeah, like the allegories, like we said, it's quite obvious, like it's not hard to interpret what it's based on, but still like the representations of the characters just so cleverly done. Like, so Napoleon is Stalin, effectively Snowball is Trotsky, Old Major even at the start, like his speech is so rousing, is Beasts of England song and everything. He's Marx or Lenin Marx. or like a, a combination of both. It's the leader who then dies and Squealer is like such a little Goebbels as well. And then even the puppies I thought being raised and they're like nearly like the Gestapo then or the SS or whatever there's just so many clever little touches that it's really impactful and I think it's like an accessible way to learn about as you said Marty learn about the yeah. revolution like it's you could nearly read that book before you as like an entry point into kind of getting involved in that really found myself buying into like the farm and wanting it to succeed it's heartbreaking at times the book as well as being interesting and fun as well it's just kind of it has everything as like Oren and Paul alluded to in such a short book it really covers everything so well it reminds me of the great gatsby a little bit in that it's such a small like novella but it's just it's in the telling of the story that makes it remarkable rather than the plot itself yeah but, i think i think just one thing i was just as you were chatting there about just even i don't know what you felt lads but like like the fact that it was it was such a short book it never felt rushed the fact that you could read the first page and the last page and think geez a lot ha-, like in fairness a lot does happen in you know, well, a hundred pages but like the way it just gradually went from you know, the revolution to, you know, the final point um, with Napoleon and the pigs and, and mixing with the humans and everything. It just never felt like, you know, he was just rushing chapter chapter. It just happened so gradually, which was, I thought was really, really nice. And then as well, like, as you said, Sir Smith, like like the messages, obviously you're connecting it to the, to the Russian revolution there. But like, even as I was reading it, I, I was just thinking like just the, the current epidemic of fake news, that's, that's around and it's only going to get worse. And just people... So many people just unfortunately just believing everything they see, you know, and don't kind of question anything or um, and it's scary, like, and it's eye opening, but it's just fascinating how it was written 70 years ago. No, or 80 years ago. Yeah, you can just connect it to so many modern and obviously historical events. Yeah, and I think it's it's really interesting as well as that, as you mentioned, the fake news, like stuff like teaching sheep the new song to drown out people when they're questioning or like amending the 
um, seven commandments it's so sinister but so clever and then it's almost tell people something enough and they'll start to believe it but i was just going to say and uh, you know podge mentioned how it didn't feel rushed even though it was only 93 pages long you know that's kind of it, when we were talking beforehand you know you mentioned who was worse napoleon or you know one of the other characters we read from a different book uh Rashid or whatever we really got even though we had we had a lot less pages uh with with napoleon we absolutely got the gravity of all his all, all his manipulation and his uh, and his you know conniving and harm he was doing to all around him but it wasn't was it wasn't uh, rammed down our throat or it wasn't in excruciating detail it was enough for for who wanted who who anyone who wanted to pick it up to pick it up but if you wanted to glide over it you could you know nearly made it more impactful for me the fact when say napoleon did something in a weird way you know it's coming you, because you know the story because it is a metaphor you pick that up quickly so you're like i see what's going to happen but when he did something i was like Jesus, right, this is, this is happening so quickly and just all of a sudden, and I'm like, you know, uh, you're shocked in, into it. With, you know, A Thousand Splendid Sons, it kind of was all built up and there was, you saw different sides and different, whereas this was just bang, yeah. it's happened and it's very kind of linear and um, which, yeah, as, as I said, I thought it just made it more impactful almost. It's interesting, Oren, you say that, like, about Napoleon as well, because, like, if you think of his, like, real-life counterpart, Stalin, it was very similar, that things just, like, no one really saw him coming and he was always underestimated. And then it was, whoa, like, he's kind of seized power so quickly and become a dictator, essentially. So, like, it's very cleverly done. And, Podge, I like what you said. Yeah gradual as well like it seems like a utopia at the start when they kick off the farmer and obviously you know from your expectation is things aren't going to work out that way which are kind of your knowledge before you enter the story but I really like it reminded me like you know the quote like that the path to hell is paved with good intentions it was like they started out with this idyllic lifestyle and then all it takes is like the little changes even one which I found interesting on my reread like when they start using all the was it the milk or the cream for the mash just for the pigs like even snowball was still around at that stage so it wasn't that this was like a napoleon dictator move this was like very early on in the story so it's like i think wasn't was a great i didn't realize snowball was still there yeah there's so much to unpack from this book i suppose is there any ideas or, te- or teams that people are still thinking about or really had an impact on you podge maybe i'll start with you yeah, uh, I think one that really just stood out to me um, was the idea of the sugar candy mountain that Moses, the raven, I think he's a raven, kind of comes along early enough in the book talks about the sugar candy mountain and it's completely dismissed by the pigs. I think Squealer completely dismisses him out of hand and is like, tells the others, no, it's not, it's nonsense or whatever. But it's it's mentioned that it. it it gets the attention of some of the animals, you know, some of the more gullible animals. And I just thought that it's just so fascinating that, like, in a society like this, just that there there is always uh, someone kind of maybe almost preying on the, the populace in a way, like, you know, looking for an opportunity and maybe maybe seeing how gullible they actually are and kind of, yeah, as I said, preying on that in a way. And there was one, uh, there was one in quote, uh, it was near the end of the book, and it's when uh, Moses returns. And it's like in the middle of the summer, uh, he suddenly re- reappeared after an up several years. And then all of a sudden he's talking about Sugar Candy Mountain. He's like, look, over the, over the clouds and all this crack. And the pigs weren't too happy. Sure, by this stage, the pigs were extremely power- powerful. And almost as you're reading this, you're kind of thinking, oh, this won't go well for, for Moses. You know, should they're, they're going to end up uh, bringing him in, maybe or killing him or whatever. But it doesn't turn out that way at all. 
actually says that uh, they all declared contemptuously that his stories about sugar candy mountain were lies, and yet they allowed him to remain on the farm, not working with an allowance of a gill of beer a day. So the fact that they were so against him and they were threatened by him in a way, they still kept him very close, which I just thought was really fascinating as a metaphor. Yeah, it's really interesting. I know you're saying about preying on the populace. I kind of found the thought of as well that the pigs, despite their powerful thing and the secularism that kind of goes with communism, that everyone kind of has that and it like the interest in the afterlife or whatever, if that's the metaphor for sure you can candy man, that it's it was almost a comfort to have him around despite him annoying them and that. I don't know if anyone else has any thoughts on that. Uh, I actually didn't realise this was uh, a direct metaphor for the Russian Revolution. I just kind of thought it was kind of a... Well, I suppose, like, I suppose I thought... I realised it was a communist revolution, but I didn't really thought that it was that one specifically. But I just thought it was really, like... It was a fascinating sort of look at how power works when it when it gets suddenly decentralised from someone who's had it for a long time. And then suddenly it's kind of people who aren't used to having it and they kind of have the task of, of distributing it amongst themselves. And it's it's... I suppose it's most interesting to watch the way... It corrupts when Snowball initially has it, and he's probably the person who's best suited to have it. And then Napoleon still manages to get it from him, and like the motivation behind that, and the lengths he'll go to to get it, and then the way he'll consolidate that, and like the lengths he'll go to to consolidate that once he has it. Like I just thought it was like there was something really powerful about it, like to see how that works, and obviously it does work in in real life as well. Yeah, that power, the corruption is so interesting, and even. I thought it was so clever to like chase Snowball off the farm, but then blame him for everything afterwards. It was like kind of a depressing thing of whether it was the Jews for Germany and ahead of World War II, where there's always an enemy to blame, someone to alienate or dehumanize. So the fact that they like took away all Snowball's deeds and then blamed them for absolutely everything that happened on the farm that went wrong, the wheat going bad or the something went missing. I thought that was really clever. It was almost better than killing him with the dogs initially because then there's no scapegoat for everything that goes wrong. So I thought that played out really well in the plot. I thought um, there was one line in particular about Squealer, and it's, it's when he's talking, when they're reducing the rations, and they're constantly reducing the rations. And it says, it's just, it's even in brackets, it just says, Squealer always used the term readjustment as opposed to reduction, you know, which it always was. I thought a, a, another concept that was really interesting was Molly, the horse, who was almost, I felt like, anyway, maybe I'm seeing everything as allegory now, but maybe for like the posher or the more upper class or bourgeoisie kind of element society who like the revolution is it. great as an idyllic at the start. It does, it's not for everyone, you know, she was much happier when he, Mr. Jones was in. I thought it was just so cleverly done where she's approached about the rumours of her kind of conversing with a, a neighbouring farmer and being fed sugar cubes and he allowed him to to stroke your mane or whatever it was. I thought it was really uh, clever. And then when she vanishes, obviously, and you find out subsequently she's on the farm. Just I thought that lure back traditional society, like people are resistant to change. The, the revolution wasn't for everyone. I actually thought that was kind of an interesting idea in terms of like the way revolutions are written historically in general. Because like, you know, the way you would hear, say, stories of, of the way statistically not like, there was quite a large percentage of Irish people that weren't necessarily in favour of the rebellion around the time of 1916 and stuff. And that doesn't necessarily get communicated all that like enthusiastically in, in the history that we hear and see. It's important, I think, kind of realise that like obviously people aren't going to be bothered with it maybe in the moment because it might represent like hardship for them. It might be just like, you know, war on their doorstep. It might mean like they become impoverished. It's hard to get food, like you're in danger and whatever. So like, you know, I think it's, yeah, it's not something that necessarily gets covered, but like the general attitude that might be there on, on, on the ground, these kind of movements. Absolutely. 
hundred percent. And I think even it suits like as bad as the farmer was, it suited Molly to have him there. So like there's a whole section of society that regardless of how bad a situation is or how bad a, a bad a job a government is doing, like there's a certain group in society that is perfectly doing really, really well out of it. Like so, you know, even if it is communism, it was the pigs who were doing well out of it. If it was the farmer, Molly was doing well out of it. Like there's always someone um on the up and someone struggling, it seems. Which obviously com- communism was meant to get rid of that and then show that it didn't. I thought it was interesting too actually that like, you know, Orwell himself was a socialist and was like all about this socialist idea of the redistribution of wealth and stuff. And like that he would still take aim at communism like he did here. Like the idea being that like I suppose that it's there's no value to it if it's if it's totalitarian and authoritarian and stuff like that, you know, that it has to be the power has to come from the people and stuff. So I thought there was something very kind of genuine about that. I think that's it with, yeah, he was quite a staunch socialist, but I think it was he despised the abuse of power from Stalin and, yeah, the, the totalitarian aspect of it. I don't think he's against the concept as such, but I think he was just trying to show that humans are corrupt and power does corrupt. So it's just a harder thing to implement than the idea is great, but the implementation is where you run into the issues, I suppose. Yeah, I think um, I think one of the underlying themes, um, just from listening to you lads even talking there, was um, like the grass isn't always greener. Like, I think Molly, I actually forgot about Molly because that happened so early in the book. You could compare that to a lot of cases. Like, I was even topically like 1916 rising. A lot of people didn't agree with it. And, you know, we're happy out with the UK. Um, you know, with being, being controlled by London, all this crack. And, you know, didn't like the idea of getting independence or whatever. Uh, you sure you could relate that instance to, to that alone, you know what I mean? Or to, to many other things, not just necessarily communism. And obviously, the way the book went, obviously that way. But um, does that those those initial chapters could be taken in a lot of different ways? Yeah, the nineteen sixteen one's a great comparison. I actually did my thesis for my master's on the media reaction to nineteen the nineteen sixteen rising as it happened, and it was panned. Like it was universally panned, and pe- rebels were seen as troublemakers almost, and like that this was like the destruction done to Dublin. Like it was only with hindsight that it was glorified or whatever. So I think that is a really interesting thing that like that it wouldn't have suited everyone so molly and a lot of people didn't benefit long term from it like boxer who's probably the heart of the story did he really did he benefit from it i found that particularly harrowing kind of emotional high point of the book where it was said put to him early on that under mr jones you know you're destined for you could end up in the knackers yard when you retire with this guy that was his fate then anyway despite the revolution which i thought was really uh really touching and sad yeah, I think you said the emotional high point there. I think the moment that I felt most shocked or most angry was when the pigs uh, came out of the farmhouse on two legs. Oh my God, I was fit to, yeah. fit to fry them, so I was. <laughs> oh, but I'll tell you, I'll have a BLT tomorrow with no shame at all. Yeah. But, uh, You'd be calling that that that, that point now, and then I was honest to God, I was I was fuming, and then when they put on the clothes, I was like, ah, yeah, <laughs> and the whiskey, finding the whiskey, and then the whiskey, yeah, you could forgive them with the whiskey now. Adding uh, to excess, never to drink to excess. I really like that. <laughs> no harm in a bit of whiskey now. In fact. I thought I actually the way your man he thought he was dying was very well done. Yeah, it was all. You kind, of, you kind of thought it was serious for a second, <laughs> yeah. and then I realised he was just hungover. Like, yeah. <laughs> I thought it was very good. 
we've all been there the panic stage <laughs> character wise does anyone have any standout characters i think boxer is probably the heart of the story he's really interesting he's like your common representation of the common person i suppose the worker who's hanging really buys into the whole motherland the communism concept of comrades and every, napoleon's always right who just went along gave everything and then was effectively chewed up and spit out by the system despite everything he gave and um, is there any other characters anyone had a favorite character say Oren? was there someone that you were rooting for or a character you particularly enjoyed? Yeah, no, I think for me, yeah, Boxy, you just, I don't know, everybody loves an underdog and that sort of stuff. Like when the dogs came out, I think, to initially get um, Snowball and then one of them goes for a boxer and boxer drops some kind of thing or puts his um, foot number or something like that. You're like, yeah, going on your legend is all I could think of. Like, Yeah, you're hoping it doesn't end the way it does. And because that happened, I thought he'd have an out or I thought, There'd be some, like, he'd survive the, he'd kick himself out of the van at the end. And he doesn't know such a, like, just as such a demise. It was kind of, I found that the most depressing part. Not quite, didn't work out for all the rest of them. Not, it was just that on an individual level that, yeah, as you said, as bad as if he just stayed with the farmer and he probably would have had to do less work. He would have, you know, would he, he probably would have been better off. Yeah, I think it's like the, it's almost like the of mice and men thing where he's talking about his retirement for so long and what he's going to do. And even when he gets shot after he helps fight off at the Battle of the Windmill, where he fights off bravely all the farmers and he's wounded and he's saying, well, look, you'll probably finish the windmill without me. It's time. Like, he was almost happy to retire finally. And then it's, even that's taken from him. Podge, had you any characters that you particularly liked? Um, I don't know. Well, I definitely didn't like this character, but I just thought he was such a good character. Squealer was just really interesting. I just love, like, I didn't love, but, like, in terms of a, a villain, like, just even his body language, I don't know if you noticed that. Like, the way he swayed whenever he spoke to the animals, and it was almost like, like, um, hypnotizing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Even, like, you look at any politician, uh, not, not, like, not just communism, but look at any politician, it's all body, like, it's all body language. Like, it's all little subtle hand movements and... Um, like even a Barack Obama, you know, with the thumb, this kind of shit. Like, I just thought that was really interesting. How he kind of every time he had something kind of big to uh, convince the animals about, uh, he always mentioned that little thing. And it's always really those little subtle things, little subtle characteristics. I thought were really, really good. Didn't like him at all. Don't get me wrong, but I just thought he was a really good character uh, for the story and a very powerful character. Yeah, very compelling. Yeah, he like he enabled the power. No more than Goebbels, I suppose, with Hitler. He the animals wouldn't have bought into Napoleon half as much as much as Napoleon is the stereotype villain. It's Squealer who probably actually does the most evil where he's teaching sheep. Yeah. Um, he's the one who changes all the commandments. Uh mm. he kind of keeps the the farm in check in terms of convincing them of things. And he's so persuasive and it's so sinister the way he does it as well, where he, he makes them feel like idiots. And then the animals think to themselves, of course, how, we obviously can't remember this. He, he's right. Of course he's right. And just, using, just using pure fear as well. Like it's always like, but you wouldn't want to go back to Mr. Jones's time. And like, it gets to a point and, and like that, that worked for so long. It's like, is that, that's the, that's the end of every argument for so long. It's like, Oh, they all agree. Yeah. Mr. Jones time was worse. And then it gets to a point where they actually have forgotten what Mr. Jones's time was like. And sure enough, it, it wasn't nice, but it's just interesting how it gets to that point where, yeah, it's like, it's so far, it's so long ago. He just completely erased their history. He's just changed um, their history completely. Just through rhetoric and propaganda. 
Franny? It was, it was interesting. I thought that, like, historically, that that has been done from one side to the other as well. Like, you know, like, the whole idea of McCarthyism in the States where, like, this idea of communism was used to justify this, that, and the other because it was just seen as just such a terrible and unfathomably awful thing that you could just do anything to try and avoid it. You know, this concept that you can get away with stuff if you just make out that something else is worse. It's just, it's put, it's put across very well in the book, I thought. Yeah. And the way that Napoleon gets away with it. And in terms of, like, my favourite character, like, Again, like Paul just saying, I wouldn't like this character, but I think the book is really about Napoleon. Like, I think it's his journey through, like, evil nearly is, is like, the story of the book, like, you know, showing how far an individual can go if, if they really let power corrupt them. And I think that, for me, was just, like, kind of, there was something so compelling about it, you know, there was just no, like, there was no law he wasn't going to stoop to. The paranoia of power, I found, was interesting as well, so that... You remember that Napoleon towards the end had the dogs guarding his bed because of Snowball's threat, but like he knew yeah. the Snowball thing was a decoy anyway. So it, it was still shows like the paranoia and the all-consuming obsession with not just like having power, but of keeping it at all costs as well to drive out anyone, to get rid of anyone. Like the executions, they were like, yeah, like anything you would have seen in kind of 1920s, 30s Europe in dictatorships where anyone who questioned the status quo was swiftly disposed of and then blamed as traitors, which, oh, yeah, I thought that was really interesting. And um, Marty, was there someone, a character for you? Yeah, a character I found very interesting. I didn't know how to feel about him. It was Benjamin, big old Benjamin the donkey. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I can just imagine he's the kind of lad that stands down at the back of mass with his arms folded, taking it all in. You know, thinks he knows it all. Yeah. Uh, but I, no, I thought I, I thought he was very interesting because he did have a, a, a great memory. He, he remembered how things were at the time of Mr. Jones while Old Major was still alive and when the excitement of the rebellion was, was being was being riled up, you know, he, his opinion was that things will never change, either, neither for the better nor for the worse. Uh, just as the book went on then, you know, he, he tended to avoid getting involved in, in any of the, the skirmishes or the, the decisions or the work either, you know, and I found myself willing him to, to, you know, to share his information, to share what he knew, you know, and I, I, I still can't, I'm still wrestling with why why he didn't share what I knew, you know, and I think if he, I, I wonder, did he care about the rebellion? Did he want the revolution? Did he want it? Because, you know, if he shared his information, there's a chance he could have saved it or he could have had some, some um, he could save something from it. But, you know, I think that that was one of the themes maybe. Well, it's definitely something I took from it is the importance of, information or of education though like Podge mentioned earlier about you know fake news or what to believe or what not to believe but without being educated on how to recognize this or how to criticize these things it can be you know if you add apathy to that then it's you can be you can be walked over and you're you're vulnerable you know yeah I suppose all it takes for evil triumph is for good men to do nothing as they say so Benjamin's like embodiment of that I, it's interesting you picked him. See, I actually picked him as probably my favorite character as well, for similar reasons that you said as well, where, uh, yeah, I found it frustrating that he didn't get involved, but also quite sad. And I remember one line that stood out to me as one of my favorites in the book was when it was kind of put to him that or that was raised. And he said, donkeys live very long time, as in that, which I talked about, that he's seen all this sort of stuff before and he knew what was coming. Like he never got that excited about the revolution. Right, yeah. The only character 
who never really bought into it or like to either extreme where he well, he didn't speak out against it like others but he didn't buy into it here he was never excited he was quite like stubborn as a mule the, living up to the kind of stereotype of just being kind of grumpy like you said the guy at the end of mass or like the guy on the the sideline watching a match giving about giving out about all the players kind of yeah I found that really the one thing I found then really impactful like how most of us in boxer kind of got carried off and I thought it was really effective that Benjamin stood by and let all this stuff happen but then he really like jumped into action when he came running at the animals to get them quick quick they're taking boxer like as much as he liked I don't know not mocking boxer but like he he still kind of had the dream as well shared it of spending his retirement with him and I think he saw that this was the great wrong despite all the other things that were going on that boxer was being carried away I find that really yeah Again, Sean is smart to us where he's saying, you fools, can't you see what's happening like before your eyes that he's been taken to the knacker's yard? But yeah, like you said, yeah. I, I, was, I kind of wrestled with that why he didn't speak out. Like he could read the commandments and all the changes, but he kind of, I don't know, does he represent just your kind of intelligent people in society? Were they powerless to stop this? Or it's like self-preservation nearly, is it? Like, the ignorance of yeah. society, yeah. Yeah, that he just didn't, he kind of turned a blind eye to it, but was that out of knowing how things were going to go and to save himself or just the inevitability of it was he just feel that he was powerless regardless yeah yeah it was really interesting I think just on the characters I didn't think too much about them almost I nearly got caught up too much in politics yeah like in the story like in how you know like I wasn't I think Fran um, touched on it there with Napoleon like so many of these stories end up being about the kind of the leader like or about squealer about you know they're about single characters or whatever but I thought this really um, really demonstrated how it takes all the different parts of, you know, of a society, of a group, of whatever, to, to make something work. Um, be it Benjamin just sitting by and doing nothing kind of thing, even though he can. It takes all the rest in the world. I just, yeah, no, I thought it was, that was really interesting. More so from a, a bigger perspective than the actual individual characters. And I guess you're going to have that in a short story as well. Yeah, I think it's a book that lends itself well to rereading. Like, I think it's one of those you could take, you could see additional things and take different things from it every time you read it despite being so sure it's just so much going on as Hodge mentioned like so much is packed between the pages that it's one that I find myself you would think about a long after you finish reading it which I think is always a good sign it's a father Ted you pick up something new every time yeah <laughs> exactly yeah one joke that went under the radar the last time you just compared George Orwell to Father Ted, did you? Yes, I did. <laughs> no higher, uh, no higher comparison. <laughs> no, no bigger compliment. Uh, in terms, of yeah, books are obviously littered with quotes and very popular quotes. Is there any that are a particular favourite for anyone? Todd, is there any quote that you particularly enjoyed? Um, God, you know, I, I actually agree with you. I'll definitely be rereading this book, but I, I'm sure I have plenty in my head, and I know this is going to be the very common one and very obvious one but the all animals are equal but some animals are more equal than others yeah obviously a very well-known quote but just uh, after reading the book and then reading the quote obviously has a bit more of an impact so um just that that was just and the fact that that was the only commandment at the very end like to get rid of the seven and just that was it then yeah i just thought that was really really powerful yeah absolutely marty any quotes that you found particularly um like there as you say there's there's so many of them, like, I, but I think there are a few that kind of got my mind thinking a bit more about what's happening today or in recent history or things like that, and um, or it just struck, struck a note with me. Uh, towards the end, when, uh, whenever Napoleon and the pigs invite uh, the humans onto the farm, they 
they're all amazed that the humans are amazed at the windmill and how it's working and how they're in the dynamo or the isn't isn't uh working now they're using it as a corn mill and that they're going to build a second build a second windmill and napoleon assures the animals that this windmill will be used for the dynamo to lessen the work so that was really interesting um I was listening to a podcast uh, a few weeks ago about how we always strive to try and lessen our workload with technology, but what it ends up doing is just making our work uh, more economic. We still fill that space with um, with more with more tasks. You know, it, it it talked about. You might have heard about anybody ever hear that inbox zero or that it was a popular kind of scheme recently. You know, yeah. trying to manage your emails and you know keep productive and things like this and it just went through how you know even though there was a product that could make your workload easier it always ended up that you were just filling it with more tasks and I just thought that that was that was similar to how they built the windmill to you know reduce their workload and it ended up you know that they had to do the same workload all over again I um, work for a harder yeah yeah. that's it that's it you know that was one I, I thought very interesting it's not again another one it's not a it's not a quote now but another thing I thought very interesting was you know how Napoleon really tried to enforce the identity of animal farm and animalism on the whole group and you know the the marches and the songs I just saw uh, again an article during the week the UK government have um, have brought in a new legislation now so that they fly the Union Jack on all government buildings every day of the week, every week of the year. Uh, and the the rationale for this uh, this new step was to try and reunite the union. And I I just thought that was very uh, very apt for for this book. Um, um, of, of course, of course, uh, Miss Miss Foster uh, and and DUP were were trying to uh, trying to. Yeah, that's it. To work over over in in the north here, but in marches, animalism is nearly like the cloche Naveen Gale took. It's only about two steps away from that. And the... <laughs> oh, jeez, yeah, don't remind me. Um, I think uh, actually that you touched upon that, Marty. I thought it was so interesting. Um, that last scene, so much happens where the humans come to visit the farm, and I know I've said I said this about boxers thing, but one of the most depressing things as well was that the humans then were admiring Napoleon's work and saying. Like you have your animals working much harder than any of us do, and like how cruel the conditions were. They were like, "We're going to adapt these conditions, and this is great." Like how you've subjugated the animals. You've got the lower animals. We've got the lower classes. Like I thought that was really just depressing. That whole thing, and then about renaming after all the identity of Animal Farm that they just decided, yeah, let's rename it to Manor Farm. Actually, it's its original name. It just really come full circle. And um, is there any quotes, Franny, for you that stood out to you? Uh, not a quote per se, but I thought the line at the end about when the pigs and the humans are looking at each other and one couldn't be distinguished from the other. I'm not sure exactly what way he worded it, but... For the benefit of anyone listening, it was the creatures outside looked from pig to man and from man to pig and from pig to man again. But already it was impossible to say which was which. Yeah, yeah was... I thought that was excellent. Is that the very last line in the book? Or was yeah, it the last the, line the, in the book, yeah. Yeah, I thought yeah, I thought that was very well done. Um, I thought it kind of encapsulated it all really because like... 
the whole idea being that like you know power can corrupt anyone if you know if the circumstances are there and if, if you're if you're that way inclined and like they just they kind of became the very thing they got powerful by saying they weren't and like yeah i just thought it brought the whole thing around full circle i thought it was excellent very good Oren, is there any quotes for you that stuck out i was going to say that that last line as well um and i think yeah it really just put a it just closed the loop kind of on on everything that happened and just highlighted if you were in any doubt whatsoever, like the pigs had just become everything that they said they wouldn't. And the fact that the animals are still on the outside, they're still looking in at everybody else. It's still a mess. It's still all over the place. The humans are slash pigs are still fighting. You know, all the animals outside have still suffered. And yet you just don't see it getting any better for them sort of thing. And um, you don't see them looking at that and being able to change their faith whatsoever. And yeah. um, I thought that common theme of like, I think Boxer said that. I, I think that was why I was so fascinated with Boxer as a character. Because, yeah, I'll work harder, I'll work harder. But his fate couldn't change. And did he? I think what he said was that he was better off without the humans. At least it was his own choice. Like, at least he had some free will or something like that. Um, but, yeah, no, he do, do they actually have any sort of free will? Or, you know, or, and that, I suppose... Uh, Outside the metaphor, like, are we all a bit like that as well kind of thing? Do we actually have any control over our own lives in a super depressing note to finish off there? But, yeah, no, I thought it was brilliant. It's like that cliche of you become the monster you hunted almost at the end of the book, with the, which is pretty upsetting. I had one, actually. It was just a random one, but I really liked. I thought it was just hit the nail on the head where it was, the human beings did not hate Animal Farm any less now that it was prospering. Indeed, they hated it more than ever which I thought was so accurate where, you know, you, they wanted it to fail so much and then the fact that it succeeded was worse. I just thought that was really clever. Okay, lads, I think it's time for our raid expectations. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, obviously yeah. I think we're very high scores here given it was a classic, but I'm sure it'll be interesting. We plan on reading classics quite regularly now for the podcast. It'll be interesting to see, I suppose, do we do people not like certain ones or people are going to have preferences? They're not all for everyone, obviously. We'll start with you, Oren. Oren, how would you rate this book out of 10 and why? Um, yeah, I don't know. It's always a bit of a challenge to rate a well-known classic that has been so highly rated sort of thing. Um, I'd, yeah, I'd nearly go with just, I'd rate it really, really highly. i go with a 9. I'm already conscious that I gave A Thousand Splendid Sons a 9.5, which I was like, why did I even bother doing that now? But for all of what we just discussed there, it was so simple yet so impactful. There was so much between the covers as Podge said I'd love to reread it and I wouldn't be a big fan of rereading stuff to be honest with you um, I'd almost reread it this week like it'd be something because it's short and snappy you can reread it quite quickly and it doesn't kind of it's not a big undertaking at all no it was, it was absolutely excellent um, couldn't, I, I couldn't really rate it higher I suppose very good um, Podge I'm just laughing to Zorn's like I couldn't rate it higher but you could yeah um, <laughs> <laughs> you did last week <laughs> <laughs> I'd be yeah I, I love this I'd, I'd give it a I'd give it a nine and a half I think Franny said before that uh, it's very hard to get a ten uh, knowing a ten should exist so I'd give it as high as possible to nine and a half because obviously it's a quick read but not because of that even though it's a quick read obviously like we're after talking for an hour or so about it even though it's it's less than 100 pages I love history myself and I kind of loved how I was able to relate just historical events that I would have read about or watched videos on or documentaries and yeah I just found out that that was a, a, a personal interest to me yeah as I said at the very start of the podcast just how even though it was a short book it didn't never felt rushed it was almost poetic at, at times and like he his choice of words and phrases uh, were obviously mulled over for a long time and it was just expertly written 
I'm sure there's a reason why it stood the test of time and it's still relatable today. So for all those reasons, yeah, uh, nine and a half. Very good. Great stuff. Franny? Um, yeah, so I suppose to go to 9.5 as well. I felt it succeeded completely in terms of what it was trying to do. You know, it obviously had this idea, or Orwell had this idea that he wanted to express through this metaphor and he felt he couldn't have done it really any more, any more effectively than he did. And like, you know, he wasn't afraid to curtail it to, you know, a hundred odd pages, whatever it was. Just so I suppose the only reason I'm reserving a 10 is maybe because like, I suppose, as Podge was saying, like, it doesn't necessarily, it shouldn't, it should maybe be something that's kind of like, just very difficult to attain, I suppose. And that should, you shouldn't be handing out that easily. But like, yeah, I mean, I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't have, I couldn't imagine anyone attempting to do what he did and doing it better than it was, than it was done. I really thought it was excellent. Yeah, I'd agree. Um, Marty? Yeah, again, like, I agree with, all of the above, and uh, you know, especially Franny there. Like I, I, I don't think he could have done it any better. But you know, I'm just going to rate it on. I'm not going. I'm not going to try and rate the the quality of the writing or anything like that. I'm just going to rate it on you know how much I enjoy it, and I'm going to say uh, eight point five because I, you know, I I really enjoyed it. It was a fun, informative read. Like I, I felt I learned. I learned a lot. I felt it was very accessible. You know, you could you could have a chat about it with someone who's read it maybe 40 years older than you or someone who has just read it for the first time in secondary school. You know, it's very accessible. And yeah, overall, I'd say it's just a fun informative read. I'm going to go with an 8.5. I'm very similar kind of opinions to you all. I think you're, what you said, Marty, is so true about how accessible it is. Like it's starting some classics can be dense and daunting and epic in terms of length and stuff but this is just so concise and like less is more I think very much and Franny that's such a good point that like I don't think anyone I don't think this story for what it is could have been done any better and I think also like the length actually lends itself well to it and that if it had been drawn out five or six hundred pages it might have been trying to reinforce everything too much but it was just so concise and more impactful as a result I think so I'm going to go for a 9.5 as well for the same reasons like it's as close to a 10 I think as any book we've done so far but I'll hold off and I think 10 should be a book that changes your life almost or yeah something that you would rate as the best book you've ever read for that reason I'm going to say 9.5 but yeah those are very high ratings if anyone else has read it at home or you plan to read it let us know what you thought how you'd rate the book um, you can get in touch at Lower Hour Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, or you can give us shoot us an email over at lowerhour at gmail.com or just jump onto the website and fill out a contact form. On our next podcast, episode four will be Transatlantic by Colin McCann, as chosen by Pudge. You can read more about that over on our website or on our social media pages. Happy reading. We look forward to releasing another episode soon and have a good month. <laughs>